So what he just said right there at the end was uh, our mission statement as a church. And if you have not yet participated, gone through, rooted, or if you started it once before but didn't go all the way through or whatever, do it this fall. Go out on the patio, sign up. If money's an issue, let us know. It's, it's not very expensive, but even if that's a lot to you, let us know. Uh, we want everyone to go through Rooted, even if you're here for the very first time and you're like, I don't even trust you, dude. Still, by the end of this time together, I hope that you will have the courage to go out there and sign up because it will be a transforming experience. If you are new, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here. And you are are stumbling in, you're coming into this place at a great, great time. All of us were new at some time, by the way. Uh, But this is a really good time to be new uh, because all kinds of things are new and different, right? We're starting a new fourth service tonight at 6 p.m., So uh, if you have someone that you were trying to get here that didn't get here, you can bring them back tonight. Uh, And and we're starting a new uh, series called You Make the Call, Winning with Wisdom. Uh, What else is new? My wife and I just moved into a new house. It's, It's not a new house. It's an old house, but it's new to us. And, uh, and that's exciting. And we have a new baby coming, uh, Hillary and I do. So that's fun. Thank you. Thank you for the enthusiasm. I'm sensitive when I make that announcement uh, because getting pregnant wasn't easy for us. We, uh, it took us almost four years, and uh, we went through in vitro, and that's how we got Jack, and that's how we got baby number two. So I'm just sensitive to people who, uh, who that is part of their journey. Um, but also, I want to talk about the, the newness of today, the newness of not only this series and this message, but the newness of just today, uh, and the newness of this week, and this fall, and this new season, because with each new day come new decisions that you're going to have to make. With each new week come new challenges, new opportunities, and, and there's all kinds of decisions that you will make this week that will have either small consequences for your life, like peanut butter and jelly or ham, you know, or maybe large consequences for your life. And, and with each new day come these significant kinds of decisions, like, should I say yes or should I say no? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I go fast? Should I go slow? Should I rent? Should I buy? Should I lease? Should I start? Should I stop? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? Should I move? Should I stay here? Right? There are complex issues. Is this the relationship the right relationship? Am I on the right track in this direction? And we live in an ever-increasingly complex world, right? It just, the world just seems to get more complex, seems to go faster. There seem to be more challenges and more things pulling us in different directions. The the world is complex and it can be difficult to know what's right and what's wrong. Well, maybe something is right for them, but, but, but is that still right for me? Or this is a gray area here. That's not exactly sin or it's not exactly bad, but is it... For you, it's gray, it's, it's difficult, it's confusing, and that's the world that we live in. And here's the reality is that we're all smart people in this room with some level of education beyond most of the world, and yet being smart is not enough. Really smart people have done really stupid things. 
and made really poor decisions. I was reading about the head of the CIA in the not-too-distant future, the head of the CIA who had an affair and thought he could keep it a secret with the person who was doing his biography. He can't even keep our national secrets a secret, but he thought he could keep that a secret at the office. It ended up costing him his job. Or think of Bill Clinton, very smart, leader of the free world for a time. He thought he could keep his affair a secret, and he even swore under oath, right? We have dumb people, or very smart people, that do dumb stuff. A funny one that I read was Albert Einstein, you know, pretty smart guy. He couldn't remember where he lived. Uh, regularly, he would get lost. And there was one story where a cab driver said that he was driving Albert Einstein home, and Albert Einstein couldn't remember where Albert Einstein lived. So Einstein says to the cab driver, just take me to Albert Einstein's house. (laughs) Really smart, not always, you know, and for me, just personally, I've done, I do lots of stupid things. Just this week, I'll tell you, I tried to move into our new house wearing sandals, um, have some toe issues to, to, to show for it. I'm watching Jack in this new house for like the first hour that we're there uh, the next day. And uh, Hillary's doing something. I'm in charge. And, and we have stairs now in this house. And, and whatever, you know, they're, they're carpeted. And so uh, I, I'm not paying attention. And Jack climbs up the stairs. And I hear him start to cry about halfway down. And I hear the da 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 and then crying starts, da-da, da-da, and I come around the corner right in time for the ba-boom, or on the floor, and uh, Hillary, you know, like, what's, this is your fault. No, but we, we, uh, smart people that miss some things and do dumb stuff. I mean, there's really smart people that have gotten DUIs. There's really smart people that have been thrown in jail for white-collar crimes and that have run their companies into the ground, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about one simple question that we are going to ask ourselves this week and this month. One question that will save you a lot of stupid decisions. One question that will spare you from a tremendous amount of regret, One question that if you ask it, you will position yourself for the future that you actually want instead of living just for the present moment. One question that could just change the trajectory of your life if you ask this simple question. Now, we all have people that are going to come to our mind, and you're going to sit here and you're going to think, oh, so-and-so should be here. They, they make a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, they, 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 they should be here for this message. Uh, and that's fine. Like, you can email them the link and the podcast and everything, and that's great. Or you can bring them back at six. Uh, but for now, I want you to listen for you. I want you to think about you. I want you to assess your life, your circumstances, and just, just see if God would speak to you through this one simple question. I'm going to tell you where I stumbled upon this question in the Bible. And uh, before I do, I want you to, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to a church, not unlike us, just a couple thousand years ago. And he's writing this letter to a church in Ephesus. That's why it's called 
Ephesians. Uh, but we know that the letter got passed around a lot of other places. So for some reason it stuck. Ephesus is the title. But a lot, people saw the manuscript and it's been passed now for generations and generations. It's just as relevant to us today when you understand what he's saying. And the first five chapters, Paul is challenging these people, these people who are trying to follow this Jesus. He's challenging them about how he thinks that they want to live. These are ways that you can live and honor God. These are ways that you can live, and it's going to go better for you if you live this way. But then he gets to chapter 5, and and as if he's saying, hey, all that stuff that I told you is really good and important, but I'm going to boil it down to two sentences right now. I'm going to boil it all down. Like, here's the cliff notes. If you just get this, you'll be on the right track. If you just understand this, your life will go much better. You will live the life that God designed and intended for you. You will honor God with your life. Your life will be fruitful. It'll be good. You'll live the good life. Paul, writing to people like us, Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these Evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So he says, if I can sum it all up for you, this is how you should live. He says, be careful. This word careful literally means to look around. To look around, to examine, to check out, to be be intentional. Look forwards where you're going. Look backwards where you've been. Look to the sides. Don't just jump into stuff ignorantly without any kind of fear of of consequence. Be aware. Be intentional. Think before you act. There's a consequence for every decision, good or bad. Then he says, don't live like fools. You know what the fool's goal is? The fool's goal is mine now. Not then now. And like a two-year-old, like, like, like Jack is starting to say, mine. I want it. Mine now. That's what fools, that's how fools live. I want this when I want it. And I want it right now. Instead, he says, make the most. Make the most of every opportunity. Do you know what your most precious, precious asset is? Time. You don't know how much you have. None of us know when time runs out. None of us know how many days we get. None of us know how many minutes, how many hours. None of us are guaranteed another breath. So he says, make the most of the time that you have. Make the most of today. Make the most of this week. Make the most of this new fall season, this school year, and everything else. Because you don't know how long it will last. You don't know the time that you have with your family. You don't know the time that you are going to be given, the breaths that you're going to take. Make the most. Make the most of the time that you have because the days are evil. He would say the same today as he's saying it then. The days are complex. The days are confusing. The cultural current is strong. And what he's getting at here is if to say, if you were to pick up your feet and just let the current of culture take you, right? Are you with me? If you were just to pick up your feet and sit in an inner tube, whatever helps your imagination, and just let the current of culture take you away. You will end up somewhere you do not want to be. 
you, will, you would end up somewhere dangerous. You would end up somewhere discouraged, probably broke, divorced, unhappy, whatever that looks like. If you just picked up your feet and just went with the flow in this culture, you're going to end up somewhere you do not want to be. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. So how should you live, he says? Wisely, with wisdom. He's associating wisdom with carefulness, thoughtfulness, intentionality versus foolishness, which is not thinking, not paying attention, just living for what I want, when I want it, which is right now. So, according to Paul, our question that we're going to take with us today and this week and this month is simply this. What is the wise thing for me to do? If you were to ask that simple question before you make any meaningful decisions, you will spare yourself so much pain, so many patterns. Maybe history won't continue to repeat itself if you ask this question. Maybe you would spare yourself from the pain and the drama of all these things spinning out of control and going crazy like they have in different times and different seasons of your life. Maybe you would spare yourself from the mess of relational, wow, just breakup and what's the wise thing for me to do? Notice the question isn't even what's the right thing? Because you're looking at me and you're thinking, hey, maybe we have different values. I don't even, like Paul, apostle, you're talking about Jesus, I don't even think I believe all the same things as you. I'm not even asking you to subscribe to certain beliefs or to say, yes, this is right and this is wrong. I'm just saying, what's the wise thing for you to do? Not the legal thing, because you can do some legal stuff and get yourself in trouble. Not the popular thing, Not what everyone else is doing, not what he's doing, not what she's doing, not what you can get away with. What's the wise thing for me to do? Now, most of you are aware that wisdom is a good thing. Like, you're, you're familiar with the idea of wisdom. No one's going to say, oh, no, wisdom is terrible. Uh, but, but when you think about wisdom, maybe you don't think about wisdom very often. And maybe when you do, it conjures up just in images of Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda, right? Or Gandalf the Great or an owl, which doesn't make much sense to me. But, but, just, <laughs> but we don't deal, some of us, with wisdom and thinking about that very often. So I want to introduce you to a guy who a lot of people, not just you know, people in church, but a lot of people believe is the wisest human to ever live. His name is Solomon. Solomon was a king. He was the son of King David, another historical you know, famous figure, David and Goliath and all that kind of stuff. Solomon is considered by most the wisest human being to ever live. He had just historically, he had a huge kingdom. He had incredible wealth and assets, maybe unparalleled wealth and assets. And we, he's regarded as the wisest person to live. Now, he wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And when you read those, you're like, okay, I can, I can believe this. This guy knew some stuff. And in the Proverbs, he's passing these truths on to his kids and to other generations. And you're like, 
that dude was wise. He also, my favorite story about Solomon is, is he, he would kind of judge between issues. When issues came up, and there was this one issue that came up where these two women came in with one kid, and both women said, that's my kid. This is my, this is, no, no, he's mine. No, 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 he's, he's my kid. And obviously, like, the family resemblance thing wasn't uh, enough, and they didn't have DNA testing back then. And so he just kind of had to discern in this moment whose child this was. And both women were fighting tooth and nail and were crying, and, oh, this is mine. Yeah, yeah. And so Solomon, in all of his crazy wisdom, looks at these two women. This story is crazy. Looks at these two women and says to them, I've got it. And the two women stop and they look at him and they're like, what? Here's what we'll do. He calls for one of his guards. Get out your sword. Come over here, please. We're going to cut this child in half and you can both have him. To which one woman just kind of looks at him blankly. The other woman starts to cry and says, absolutely not. She can have the boy. He looks at that woman and he says, you are the mother. Get this woman out of here. He's your child. Crazy wisdom, right? That is the Solomon that we're talking about here. And this is the beginning of Solomon's wisdom. This is where it all began. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. Let's just pause there for a second because that's a lot of offerings. Now in that day, people would sacrifice a burnt offering, which was an animal, as an expression to God, to to, to honor God and to atone for their own issues for their own stuff, for their own sin and stuff in their life. And so whether it was kind of periodically, systematically through the year, or if they just needed, because of the stuff that they had done or whatever, they just needed to bring an offering and just say, I'm going to kill this innocent animal as an expression to say that I am not innocent, God, and I need your mercy, right? So just one, you know, deer or lamb or whatever would have been enough. Solomon takes a thousand. And I doubt that he's the one like actually, you know, strapping them on, and, but he's got a, a lot of people who work for him. So maybe there's a hundred people and they do 10 each or whatever, but it's a costly, like day long, if not longer endeavor. And he brings a thousand animals and sacrifices them before God as if he's saying, I'm going to get God's attention. Like, I want God to know I'm serious here. Some of you have been serious. Some of you have just like, I just need God to do something. I just need to hear from God. I just, and you're desperate enough. So Solomon, a thousand sacrifices because I just need God's attention. Verse five, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Blank check blessing right here, right now. What would you ask for? That car, that person, that house, that job, that what? Verse 6, Solomon replied, You showed great mercy and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him by giving him a son, me, Solomon, to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king, 
instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. I'm like an adolescent. I'm like a punk kid. Verse 8. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they cannot even be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Blank check blessing moment here. And Solomon says, I'm so grateful for everything that you've already given me. Here's, here's what I really, really need. I'm a punk kid. I'm like, a, I'm like an adolescent in terms of my maturity. There's no way that I can lead all these people. I can barely lead myself. Look at all the dumb stuff I've done as a kid. And now I'm in charge of this whole kingdom of people. This is a big deal. I can't do this on my own. I'm in this new job. I can't do this on my own. I'm in this relationship, and the relationship that my parents, the model that they set for me was not a good model. I don't know how to do this right. I don't know where to turn from here. I don't know how to make this decision. God, what I really need is wisdom. And because he was so serious, God gave him what he asked for and made him the wisest person that we know about. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, but that was Solomon, the Proverbs guy. This is a long time later, and I'm just, you know, I just own my own business. I just, whatever it is that you are at in your current world right now. But here's the good news for you and for me. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If anybody lacks wisdom, and you seriously go before God, and you're like, I just need wisdom. I need discernment in this situation. I I can't do this on my own. I'm not smart enough. Look at this pattern, this cycle that my life has been in. I don't want to continue to repeat the past. I need wisdom. If you want history to stop repeating itself, ask for wisdom. If you want to have the things that really matter, Later, and not just the things that you think you want now, ask for wisdom. If you want to stay in the committed relationship that you're in, ask for wisdom. If you want to be known for something positive and meaningful, and not just as a knucklehead, ask for wisdom. If you want to graduate and get the job and go further than others in your family, ask God for wisdom and begin to ask yourself this simple question before any meaningful decision. What is the wise thing for me to do? Not what I did before. Not what could I get away with. Not what did he do. Not what did she do. Not even what's the legal thing. What's the wise thing for me to do? When I was 16 years old, my dad asked 
a bunch of kind of mentor figures in my life to write me a letter about becoming a man. So he, he thought that 16 was kind of the, the passage into manhood, and he wanted to create a marker so that it would be memorable. So he took me on this weekend trip to Palm Springs, and we were living in Claremont at the time, and so we go over to Palm Springs, and other, a, a few of these guys, about eight or ten of these guys, came in, flew in from different parts of the West Coast, and we met there. And they brought their letters, but they also brought some books of wisdom. And then we had this weekend experience together where they were trying to show me what it looks like to transition from boyhood to adulthood and what it is to be a man. And so one of the things that we did was we went to a restaurant. We went to a restaurant with these guys around this large table and one of the guys ordered beers. My dad didn't because he doesn't know anything about anything drinking-wise. And so this guy ordered the beers and the wine. And I'm 16, and I hadn't had a drink before. You're like, I would have needed this experience a lot younger. But I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't had anything alcoholic to drink before. And I'm sitting at this table with these older men. And we all have a beer or something in front of us. And my dad says, Caleb, I wanted you to have your first taste of beer with these guys. Because I want you from now on, anytime a drink is put in front of you, to ask yourself this question, is this the appropriate time? Should I drink at this time? And I want you, when you ask yourself that question, to look around in your mind this table at these men and see their faces. Is it the wise thing to have this drink? And then we went back to the house and we circled around again and we're talking. And one of the other guys says, Caleb, I have another lesson for you. I made a lot of bad decisions with women in my life. And I want you, when you're with a girl and there's chemistry there or something posing as chemistry there between you, I want you to think of these guys. (laughs) Kind of a weird deal, but... (laughs) I want you to remember this moment. And before you decide to get in the back seat or to go back to her place or to whatever, ask yourself this question. Is this the wise thing for me to do? Is this going to lead to the place where I ultimately want to go? Or is this just a foolish, what I want, when I want it kind of a moment? So my dad gave me that marker as a kid and taught me from a young age, think not just about the immediate, but think about the implications and the consequences and ask yourself, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, what I wanted to do and why I titled this message Game Plan is what I, I want for these next few weeks us each to ask ourselves these, these, this question, but apply it into very specific areas of our life is what we'll do over the next few weeks. And, and to drill down and make it even more personal, I want to encourage you to ask it this way. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of where I've been, in light of what I know I have struggled with, In light of the family that I came from, in light of what I'm just coming out of, maybe some of you are just coming out of a divorce. Maybe some of you are just coming out of some kind of financial crisis. Maybe some of you know from the cycles and experiences of your past exactly what will happen if you're in this particular situation. 
you know, in light of your past experiences, what is the wise thing for you to do? You know your vulnerabilities. You know your tendencies. You know your weaknesses. What's the wise thing for you to do? Not the popular thing. Not the right or wrong thing. The wise thing. In light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of the fact that maybe you're traveling a lot right now for business, what's the wise thing for you to do? In light of the fact that maybe you just got married, you're, you're a newlywed, you used to do certain things on Friday and Saturday nights, you, pl- you used to play certain amounts of video games, you used to think about life in this kind of a way, but now in your present circumstances, what's the wise thing for you to do? Maybe you just had a kid. You're a mom now. You're a dad now. What's the wise thing for you to do in this season? And then lastly, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? You know, one of the saddest things is to trade away the future that you want for something that you think maybe you want in the present. The the future that you know you want for the immediate thing that you think you want right now. So keeping in mind your future hopes and your dreams, the direction that you want your life to go, the way that you think that God has wired you and designed you and what he wants for you, what's the wise thing for you to do? So we put those things together and we get this sentence, in light of my past experiences, present circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, What's the wise thing for me to do? Would you say this with me out loud? In light of my past experiences, present circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because here's the thing. No one goes into their first marriage with an eye on their second. No one goes into business thinking about how to unwind it in chapter 11 or 13 or whatever it is. No, no, no one goes into this decision expecting to ruin their life. They just don't plan not to. Right? What would it look like for you to go about your life, go about this week asking yourself, in light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? That's your homework assignment. That's the experiment that I hope that you will ask this week. That's, that's what I, even if you don't do the wise thing, would you just ask the question? If, if you're here and you're like, I won't even ask that question. I'm so tired of hearing you say it. You know, I, if, if, you push, if you push back against that reality, this is risky. I'm going to say it. This is risky because you might never come back, but I just want you to hear this in case I don't get another chance. If you refuse to ask that question, you don't have your own best interest in mind. That's just the reality. You don't even have your own best interest in mind. But what if there's a God who does have your best interest in mind? What if there's a God who designed you and wired you and knows your vulnerabilities and your past and, your what, and everything, and knows the hopes and the dreams and knows the things that he wants to draw out and, and have for your future? And what if he wants to give you wisdom for today?
Would you be open to it? Would you ask the question? His wisdom is never a buzzkill. It's always for your benefit. We're going to explore this over the next few weeks and what that question looks like in different specific areas of our life. I hope that you'll join us for each week. God, we pray right now for your wisdom. We thank you bringing us, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you're not a God who just dishes out guilt and shame. You're a God who gently guides. Now I pray that you would give us the courage to listen and to act. Let this season of our life be different than the last season. Let us trust you more, know you more, and know how much you love us. In Jesus' name.